it was an encouragement for him to be here and encouragement to see you here as well. I want to echo that. Now, we don't always say it publicly, but you are a real encouragement, the fact that you're here. I know that for some of our older members, getting out uh, on a Sunday morning is difficult. I I know that for those members of ours that have, you, you all that have small children, I know you are already exhausted this morning now, to get your kids up and maybe fed, pretty well dressed, and, and here to worship uh, at, at the morning service. Um, I know it's a lot of work, but I'm telling you the lessons that you're teaching your children by doing that are invaluable. You're teaching them that God matters and that you're going to be here to worship Him. So, so thank you for that. If you're sitting by somebody that has a small child, you know, give them a hug, give them a smile, you know, give them a break. Um, they've already had a long morning, but... Uh, I appreciate the fact that you're here. I want to welcome you all to our second installment of this short little sermon series that we're going through on the life and the times and the book of a guy by the name of Jonah. And I mentioned last week that this is a story that everybody knows. You have known this story since you were in grade school, probably kindergarten. I mean, you know this story, or at least you know most of this story, or at least you know one part of this story really well which is fine because that's the one part of the story that we're going to be talking about this morning, the part that everybody knows. Now, most people associate the story of Jonah with two characters. There's Jonah and there's a whale. Now, if you ask people, what, what, what's the book of Jonah about? Most people will tell you Jonah's about Jonah and a whale or a great fish or something. But I'm going to tip my hand a little bit this morning and tell you that this story is not about a whale. Or a great fish. In fact, this story's not really even about Jonah. Jonah's in it. There's a great fish in it. But this is a God story. This is a story about God and the amazing things that God has done and the amazing things that God can do. And just in case you weren't here last week, I want to give you a little bit of recap, get us caught up on the same page. God said go. Jonah said no. Wind started to blow. The captain said, bro. The sailor said, whoa. Jonah said, throw. And he sank below. That's spoken word, Robbie. Did you catch that? We do it a little bit differently, but kind of the same, right? Yeah. The word of God comes to Jonah and says, I want you to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was a hated city, a pagan city, a loveless city, a godless city. Jonah said, I don't want to go. So Jonah makes plans not to go to Nineveh. In fact, Jonah makes plans to go as far away from Nineveh as he possibly can. And we talked last week about the fact that when God tells you to go to Nineveh, it might be the safest place for you to be. When you're living in the will of God, that is the safest place and the best place to be living. And at some point in time, God will call you to go to Nineveh. Again, not geographically, but God's going to ask you to go somewhere where you don't really want to go. God's going to ask you to do something that you really don't want to do. And that's exactly what happens in this story of Jonah. So Jonah goes in a different direction. God sends a great storm. The sailors don't know exactly what to do. They cast lots. The lots fall on Jonah. What's going on? It's my fault. Throw me overboard. They do. 
the storm ends. Jonah is sinking to his death. And that's where we pick the story up this morning. And for the, for the story this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something that I'm not even sure you can do. I'm going to challenge you with something. I don't even know it's possible or not. But I want you to try to listen to this part of the story as if you've never heard it before. Which is impossible because we've all heard it before. But I want you to try to listen to this story, especially this part of the story, through fresh ears. Here's what Scripture says. There we go. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Imagine you have never heard that before. This is the first time anybody's ever shared this story with you. The Lord arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. If you had never heard that, what would your reaction be? Wait, what? It's crazy. (laughs) Wait, God arranged for a fish to swallow a man, Jonah, and he lived inside the fish for three days and three nights. Now, that doesn't surprise us. We know the story. But if you'd never heard the story, you'd be taken aback by that. You'd probably go back and read that over again. Now, here's the picture that we all sort of grew up with in Sunday school, right? Now, there's Jonah sitting in the whale, you know, kind of waiting for things to pass, you know, whatever happens. Now, God tells this fish, uh, the scripture says he commissioned a fish, a fish to swallow Jonah. God tells the fish, I want you to go pick up Jonah. I will give you more information on a need-to-know basis. God tells the fish, this is important. Swallow, don't chew. And the fish obeys God. The fish swallows God. I'll tell you how long to keep them and, and how to get rid of them later. Now, by anyone's account, this is a this is a sensational story. Let me step sideways for just a minute in this sensational story. Because in a lot of ways, I think the story of Jonah, for a lot of people, is sort of a microcosm of Christianity. Sort of a microcosm of the Bible. There's a lot of people who will look at the story of Jonah, a lot of unbelievers, and say, you know, this is just one more tale. This is just one more wild story that the Bible is full of. You know, good good stories, to be sure. But just another tall tale that you Christians tell each other to make yourselves feel, you know, comforted or reassured somehow. But, come on. You know, a couple thousand years removed from the original telling of the tale, aren't we a little bit more sophisticated than that? You know, we've got history on our side. We have logic on our side. We have science on our side. Come on. Aren't we past that? And a lot of us, a lot of us Christians, you know, we, we want to argue that. In fact, I've heard set through sermons, I've heard classes where people have said, science has proved that there are fish that can swallow a man whole. In fact, there are certain situations where a man could live inside a fish for an extended period of time. And they'll come up with stories from the 1700s and the 1800s where some whaler fell overboard and was swallowed by a whale and then they found him alive a day later. Here's my thought on that. And this is personal. This is just me. 
I am a fairly educated man. In fact, my background, my education is in science. I, my degree is in biology. I don't care if science proves that a whale could swallow a man and the man could stay alive inside a, inside a whale for days or not. I don't care if science says it's possible or not. In fact, I'll tell you right up front, science says it can't be done. Biologists will tell you that there's no way that a person can live for any extended period of time inside a sea creature underwater. It's impossible. The point of Jonah is not, does a fish exist that has the capabilities of swallowing a man, and is it possible for that man to stay alive for a while inside that fish? That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that God did something that's beyond explanation. God did something that's beyond science. God did something that is beyond comprehension. The question you've got to ask yourself as you're reading the book of Jonah is, do I believe that anything's too hard for God to do? Right, that's the question that you've got to ask yourself. Do I believe in miracles? My faith depends on the belief that God is beyond explanation. My faith depends on the belief that there's absolutely nothing that God can't accomplish. That there's absolutely nothing that God can't do. And if God could speak the world into existence, which I believe He did, He can create a fish that can swallow a man whole. And if God can bring Jesus back from the dead, which I believe He did, He can keep a man in storage for a few days if that's what He wants to do. And you say, well, that's a cop-out. No, that's not a cop-out. It's faith. It's what I believe. Let me encourage you as, you as you think about the story of Jonah. Don't get hung up on the fish. If you allow yourself to get hung up on the fish, you're going to miss the most important point of this entire little story. Because the point of this story is that God is up to something big. God is up to something significant. Yeah, He's using a guy named Jonah. Yeah, He's using a fish. He's using some sailors. He's using some other specific uh, instances and, and situations. But this is a story about a God who is up to something big. God is up to something great. In fact, as you read through the book of Jonah, that word keeps coming up over and over again. Great. God tells Jonah to go to the great city of Nineveh. Because it turns out that God has a great heart for those people. Jonah instead goes in a different direction. God sent a great wind. And there was a great storm. And the sailors were filled with, with great fear. And then God, God produced a fish. And the adjective that's used to describe the fish, it was a great fish. God is doing something great in this story. But Jonah keeps messing everything up. In fact, if we were going to choose a word to describe Jonah, the word would probably be down. Jonah keeps going down. God said go to Nineveh. Instead, Jonah goes down to Joppa. And then he goes down to Tarshish. Then in the ship, we're told that he goes down in the hold of the ship to go asleep. Then he goes down into the water. Then he goes down into the fish. Jonah just keeps going down and down and down. Not a whole lot of rungs left on the ladder, by the way. Now, how much lower can you really go? Jonah is down to his lowest point. What does he do? What's his reaction? 
Chapter 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and he listened to my cry. Jonah has hit the bottom. I mean, in every way possible. He's hit the bottom physically. He's inside a fish. He's hit the bottom emotionally. In my distress, I called to the Lord. He's hit the bottom spiritually. From the depths of the grave, I call. It's such a strange story. It's such an odd story. And there's so much irony in this story. And we talked a little bit last week about some of that irony. But if you notice, all through chapter 1, so far, Jonah hasn't really prayed to God. Not honestly. Jonah has yet to pray to God through chapter 1. When God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, instead Jonah heads for Tarshish. He never talks to God about where he should go or where he wants to go. He never talked to God about the, the why to the where. When he goes below on the ship and the storm comes, the captain comes and says, pray to your God. Maybe he'll deliver us. Everyone else is praying to some God. Jonah never does pray to God. Not in that point. Even though he knows his God, the one, one true God of Israel is the only God that can do something about the problem, Jonah doesn't pray. Jonah talks to the, 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 the sailors on the boat about what's going on. He never does talk to God about what's going on until he finds himself in the stomach of a fish. Why? Why did he wait so long to turn to God? Why did he wait so long before he started to pray? Let me give you my answer. I think it's an accurate answer. I think Jesus prayed, or Jesus, Jonah prayed because at that point he had nothing better to do. And I don't mean that to be flippant and I don't mean that to be trite or in any way. I'm being serious. What else was he going to do? He had nothing left but to pray. He didn't have anything better to do. You know, every survey that I've ever seen talking about Christians' uh, discipline on prayer as well as just talking to people, brothers and sisters, about their prayer life, the result is always we, believers, we always say, I wish I prayed more. We know God. We know the power that God possesses. We know the power of prayer. But I think if you were talking to any Christian, honestly, they would tell you, I need to pray more than I do. You've heard me say, I think when I get to heaven, I'm going to realize I should have been praying more than I did. Why don't we pray even when we know we should? You know, we get distracted, right? We know how important and how powerful prayer is, but given the choice between praying and watching TV, we usually choose television. Given the choice between praying and spending time on the Internet, we spend more time on the Internet than we do in prayer. Given the choice between spending time with our family and conversation with friends, we usually choose that over prayer, even though we know how important and how powerful prayer is. There's just so many distractions available to us. Now, sometimes God brings us to a place where we have no other option but to pray. Sometimes you find yourself in a position, in a circumstance, where you really have no other option left 
but to pray. There's nothing else to do. And that's not always such a terrible place to be. God brings Jonah down, 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 down to this place of desperation. And it's in his desperation that Jonah finally turns back to God. Because he has nowhere else to turn. Now you think about your life. You pick a life situation you think this would be serious. This would be bad. Some of you don't have to use your imagination because some of you have gone through those kind of situations. Some of you are in the middle of one right now. Where do you turn? What do you do when life starts to cave in? When you feel like you're you know, kind of getting in over your head? Well, usually we turn to family. Or we turn to our friends. Or we turn to some expert, try to get advice, try to get some, some counsel. We'll turn to some distraction, you know, whatever that might be. We turn somewhere. Now, I'll figure it out. Isn't that kind of our first reaction? I've got to figure something out here. The wheels are coming off. I've got to figure something out. The whole first chapter of the story of Jonah is about Jonah trying to figure something out. The whole first chapter is about what Jonah does. He has to make a decision. Am I going to obey God or am I not going to obey God? He has some resources, so he uses those resources to buy a ticket going in the other direction where God wants him to go. He gets on a ship. He's running from God. Even though as a prophet of God, he knows how ridiculous that concept even is. But he's running from God. The whole first chapter is about what Jonah is doing. He has ideas about where he's going to go and how he's going to get there. Jonah's making all of these plans. And then the big storm hits. The great storm hits. And Jonah's plans all come to a screeching halt. In the second chapter of the book, Jonah doesn't do anything. There's absolutely no action taken by Jonah, with the exception of prayer. All Jonah does is pray because all Jonah can do is pray to God. Listen to what he said from, from the guts of the fish. This is verse 5 of chapter 2. I sank beneath the waves and death was very near. The waters closed in around me and seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was locked out of life and imprisoned in the land of the dead. Jonah's saying, it's over. I was a dead man. But you, O Lord, my God, have snatched me from the yawning jaws of death. Verse 7, when I had lost all hope, I turned my thoughts once more to the Lord. When I had lost all hope, I turned my thoughts once more to the Lord. Jonah is in a really bad place. But Jonah prays a really good prayer. Jonah's situation hasn't gone from bad to worse. It's gone from bad to miraculously worse. Now, Jonah is having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. You really think about his story. What could get worse, right? He's in a storm. What could be worse than being in a terrible storm where you're fearing for your life? How about being thrown overboard into the storm? Okay, that's worse. What could be worse than being in the middle of the sea in a raging storm? How about sinking to your death? Okay, yeah, that could be worse. What could be worse than sinking to your death in a terrible storm? How about if a giant fish came and ate you? Okay, yeah, did not see that coming. That would be worse. Jonah hits rock bottom. 
And he realizes that when things look so bad, the wind, the storm, the waves, the sea, the, the fish, God is there. When he hits rock bottom, he doesn't hit rock bottom alone. When Jonah had lost all hope, he turned his thoughts once more to the Lord. And even though Jonah could not have realized it at that point, God was up to something great. At that point, even though Jonah probably didn't know it, God knew what he was doing. Let me give you some great counsel this morning. When you find yourself in over your head, pray. When you don't know where to turn, pray. Even if it's your fault, okay? Even if you're to blame for the mess that you're in, pray. Even if you don't know exactly what to pray, pray. Even if you find yourself on a ship to Tarshish, you know, I'm kind of sailing away from the will of God, not towards the will of God, stop and pray. Even if, since we're doing the honesty thing, even if, you know, my motives probably wouldn't be real noble. I'm probably praying maybe more for self-preservation than than to be in the will of God. God says pray anyway. Because the story of the Bible is a story about a gracious God who knows everything about us. He knows our situations. He knows our circumstances. He knows our heart. He knows our, our motives. And he says, I want you to turn back to me. Because I know what I'm doing. And I'm up to something great in your life. And I want you to come back to me. And Jonah does. He turns back to God. God hears Jonah's prayer. Jonah is delivered. Again, this is such a strange little book. It gets almost slapstick. And I wouldn't even mention it, but it's mentioned in the text. This sensational story, wouldn't you sort of expect a sensational deliverance for Jonah? Three days inside this fish. Shouldn't the angel Gabriel come and like take him to dry land or something? Shouldn't a flaming chariot of fire come pull up beside the fish and you know, Jonah get in it? Shouldn't he be transported through prayer safely onto shore? But you know the story. You know that's not what happens. Verse 10, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Is it just me, or is that a little more information than we really need? Jonah wasn't gently transported. He wasn't miraculously delivered. He wasn't softly and tenderly placed on shore. He was upchucked. He was hurled. He was vomited onto dry land. Jonah ends up on the shore, and he's not some tragic figure covered in suffering. And he's not some heroic figure covered in tragedy or glory. He's covered in something, all right. He's covered in whatever was in the, the guts of the fish, I guess. But it wasn't romantic. And it wasn't courageous. It was sad. And it was a little bit sickening. And there's a reason why this is important. There's a reason why these details are important. You know, for those of you who are uh, English majors or an English background, you'll know that back in the day, uh, all stories could be divided into two different divisions. A tragedy or a comedy. 
If you study Shakespeare, all of Shakespeare's works are divided into either tragedy or comedy. Tragedy as in love loses, life loses, hope loses. It's bad. Or a comedy, not in the comedy of ha-ha, that's funny, but love wins, life wins, hope wins. So far in the story of Jonah, is it a tragedy or is it a comedy? So far it looks like a tragedy, right? I mean, yeah, life is losing here and hope is lost and, you know, it, it looks bad. But you know the story well enough to know it's not a tragedy. It's a comedy. Again, not in the comedy type of he got vomited onto land, but the comedy of it's good news. You don't read this story and shudder and go, ooh, how terrible. You read this story and you say, wow, that is awesome. You read the story and you smile. That's Jonah's God at work. That's my God at work. Jonah keeps going down, 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 and all these things keep happening to him. Jonah, who ought to be the hero of the story, is you know, he's told to go east instead he goes west. Strange choice. Prophet of God, thinking he can run from God. This Gentile ship captain actually starts um, worshiping the God of Israel. Nobody expected that. Jonah thinks he's going to drown. God commands a fish to swallow Jonah. He lives for three days inside of that beast, and then the fish regurgitates Jonah back to dry land. All of this happens so that Jonah, and I think so that you and I too, can understand that when we go down, 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 and we think we're dead, 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 and it's over, it's over, it's over, it's over, God says it's not over yet. It's not over yet because I'm still here. God is up to something great. Jonah understands from God's perspective that, that death and the grave and Sheol, whatever you want to call it, there's no power over God. Jonah realizes that people like himself, people who are prideful, maybe a little bit arrogant, maybe a little bit rebellious, maybe a little bit like us, not a problem for God. Think about this. What if when the resurrection day comes, and it is coming, what if when the dead in Christ rise, and we will rise, what if when disease, and cancer, and aging, heart disease, diabetes, dementia, have done their worst, and we've been put in the grave, Cross that river. And the resurrection occurs. What if life is so good? What if healing and redemption are so complete that our new bodies are so wonderful that community with the saints is so rich that fellowship with the Lord is so sweet that we look at each other and say, this is what we were afraid of. This is what we resisted our whole time on the earth? This was what scared us so badly? Death has no power before God. We can agree then with the Apostle Paul when he said to the church in Corinth, when our perishable earthly bodies have been transformed into heavenly bodies that will never die, 
Then at last the Scriptures will come true. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. How we thank God who gives us victory over sin and death through Jesus Christ our Lord. How we thank God who gives us victory over sin and death through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the story of Jonah and God. It's a story of us and Jesus as well. What looks like a tragedy ends up a comedy. What begins with rebellion ends up with restoration. What appears hopeless becomes holy. And that's the life that God offers us if we'll accept it. Again, I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you're in the process of trying to decide, am I going to sail toward the will of God or am I going to sail away from the will of God? Maybe maybe you're already on a boat for Tarshish. You know, maybe you're already heading in the wrong direction. Maybe you're already inside the, the fish. What do you do? You do what Jonah did. You turn to the only one, the only place, the only answer that's available to us. Now, I, I don't know where you are today. But I do know this. Every person in this room is going through something. Every single one of us is dealing with some kind of struggle and some kind of battle. None of us are immune. I can learn from Jonah. We can turn to the Lord because I guarantee the third day is coming. God is up to something. Jesus tells us, if you'll let me, I'll meet you at the cross. You want to talk about something that looked like a tragedy? You want to talk about an event, a place that looked like the darkest of human history? place of execution and death? And yet we know God was up to something pretty special at the cross. This morning, if you're in over your head, if you're carrying worries around that just are crushing you, if you're carrying guilt around that's just smothering you, a regret, a sin, a fear, the invitation is to meet Jesus. Meet Him at the cross. Because God is up to something great. And if we will turn to Him, He wants to be up to something really great in your life today. If we can help you with any of that, there's going to be some people here in front of the auditorium that would love to talk to you and meet with you and pray with you. You can meet us there. Let's stand and sing.